Now, I told him in first service that this is not a permission for you to kind of kick back and take a nap, you know, this resting well. So just let you all know that uh, I'll be keeping an eye on you this morning. Hey, we're continuing in our series uh, we've been working through this summer. It was never my intent to go this long um, on this series, but, you know, these are God's favorite stories. They're our favorite stories. They're certainly a lot of my favorite stories, and so it's just kind of fun to talk about. They're fun to preach on. Uh, I just think they're very, very insightful. Uh, so what kind of started off, I think, at the beginning of summer, I was thinking like maybe a three- or four-week series. We, it's just kind of like the Energizer Bunny. We just keep going and going and going. Um, and again, as I said, some of the parables that Jesus told, we talked about this last week. Sometimes they were just very, very short because, again, people didn't have scriptures. Um, so oftentimes Jesus would tell a story that it was very, very short because he wanted it to be memorable. So the shorter it was, the easier it was for people to kind of remember. And the parable we're going to look at today, um, it, it kind of fits in that same category. It can be found in Matthew chapter 13, uh, and it's only really one verse um, long. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open to Matthew uh, chapter 13. Otherwise, you can just follow along with me on the screen this morning. And there it says, Jesus spoke another parable to them. We talked about the parable last week in verses 31 through 32. That was a parable the mustard seed, and so this kind of just picks up where we left off last week, and again, Jesus is giving to them another parable, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven, and last week's parable of the mustard seed, when we talked about that, is found, again, just before Jesus gives them this parable uh, concerning um, the leaven. And again, he's using this as an analogy concerning the kingdom of heaven. So last week we talked about that Jesus was saying when he talked about and invoked this phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, that really what he is doing here is he is showing us, he's teaching us, he's revealing to us one of the ways the kingdom of heaven is going to manifest, it's going to operate uh, itself here upon the earth. So Jesus said, we talked about this last week, when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He said, I want you to understand, here's one of the ways the kingdom of God is going to manifest, it's going to operate here upon the earth, and that is it's going to be just like a mustard seed. And again, they all understood. They knew what a mustard seed was. They knew that it was the smallest of seeds. And so Jesus says, let me just give you an analogy of how the kingdom of heaven is going to be working upon the earth. It's going to be like a mustard seed. It's going to start off very, very small. And over time, it's going to grow and become a larger plant. And in time, it will become a place where the birds of the tree can make its nest. And in other words, it will not only be a blessing to that individual, it will be a blessing that will extend to others um, as well. And then in the next verse, verse 33, after 31 and 32, he says, let me give you another illustration let me give you kind of another analogy. Let me give you another understanding that while the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, it is also kind of like leaven. Now, in case you weren't here last week, let me just kind of surmise really quickly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about and he's making these analogies and illustrations of the kingdom of heaven. Like I said last week, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, these two terms are synonymous. So wherever you find you'll find one, um, the other can uh, applies um, just as well. So again, wherever you find that phrase, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, what it is referring to is it is how the rule and reign of God 
will be operating upon the earth right now, today, and intersecting in the lives and the affairs of mankind. Now, we've, we've talked about this, but again, you may be new here this morning. One of the overarching plans and purpose of God when it comes to my life, when it comes to your life, the affairs of mankind, is God's overarching plan is he wants to establish, he wants to manifest his kingdom upon this earth. God wants his will to be done. God has a will. He has plans and purposes for the earth, for us on the earth. And so he wants that will, those plans, and those purposes to be done upon the earth. He said, just like it is in heaven. God has a plan. There, God has purposes in the heaven that are being fulfilled right now. And, and Jesus is saying, likewise, God has plans and purposes that he wants established and fulfilled on the earth right now, today. And Jesus affirmed that. We talked about this in his prayer. There in um, Matthew 6.10, Jesus said, Thy kingdom, the kingdom of God, thy will, God's will, we want that done now, today, right here on the earth in the lives of people. We want that done today just as the will of God is being executed and done in heaven. Jesus is praying that reality of God's will, God's kingdom, that it would come upon the earth right now, today. This isn't in the future. This isn't when Jesus comes back. This isn't when we all die and go to heaven. Jesus is saying God wants his kingdom coming. He wants his will done now, today, here in your life and in my life. And every time, like we said last week, every time you do the will of God, when you give, you know, again, the hungry food, when you clothe the naked, when you give a, a glass of water to someone who is thirsty, Whenever you do God's will upon the earth, every time you're obedient and you do what the word of God says, every time we are faithful to what the word of God tells us, we are manifesting, we are establishing, we are allowing the kingdom of heaven to rule upon the earth. So in order for God's kingdom to be done upon the earth, you know what? It takes us. It takes believers working in cooperation and unity with the Godhead. And when I use that term Godhead, I'm referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it takes us believers working in cooperation and unity with the Godhead to bring about and establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. Now again, the reason this is important is because God has established from the foundations of the earth that his will is going to be done through mankind. That's why he put Adam, you know, there in the garden. He put him in charge. He said, I've created all of this, and I'm going to put you in charge of it. So whatever you allow is going to happen. Whatever you don't allow won't happen. So he just basically says, I'm going to work through you. You're in charge. Whatever happens is going to happen through you. And, and I said, part of the frustration, I think sometimes when we, when we talk about, you know, why certain things aren't happening on the earth, our, our favorite question is, why isn't God doing something? You know, you know, why is God allowing this? And I think oftentimes the real question is, the, 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 the honest question is, why aren't we doing something about this? Why are we allowing these things to happen upon the earth? 
It, it, and again, God has established his purpose and his plans and said, you know what? I'm going to create man. I'm going to put him on the earth, and I'm going to put you in charge of it. And there's even a scripture where Jesus said, whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on the earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven will be loosed on the earth. So when there is binding and loosing that needs to be done, God says, you believers you guys are the ones who are going to bind and loose. You're going to allow or disallow. You're going to establish or not establish these things upon the earth. And God has set up his kingdom to operate that way. So oftentimes, again, when we become frustrated, why isn't God doing this? Why is God allowing that? The better question is, why aren't you doing something about this? Why are you, why are we, the church believers, allowing this? If God's will is not being done upon the earth, if the kingdom of heaven is not being established, not manifesting upon the earth, it is only because mankind is not cooperating and seeking to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. So Jesus is giving them this parable uh, among other parables. He's giving them kind of this multifaceted view of how the kingdom of God works upon the earth. Uh, this isn't, you know, God just kind of waking up one day, you know, this morning and kind of thinking, okay, how, how do, how do I want to work on the earth today? This is how I did it yesterday, but today, you know what, I think I'm going to try something new. I'm going to kind of do a little different. No. God is very, very consistent from before the foundations of the earth was laid and until Jesus comes again, God has established consistently, faithfully, steadfastly, here is how my kingdom is going to work upon the earth. You are a part of that. It's going to happen through you. If the kingdom is going to come, it's going to come through you. It came through Jesus who walked upon the earth as a man who was filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, God says now the kingdom can come through you just like it did Jesus. So if the kingdom's going to come, it's got to come through you and me being obedient and steadfast to the will of God. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to understand these principles. There are, God has established principles that are not going to change. So he said, the kingdom of God, it's going to be like a mustard seed. It's going to start small. And it's going to increase in influence and effectiveness over time. As a matter of fact, it will get so big that it will not only be a blessing to you, but it will also extend to others. And he talks about, again, how eventually the birds were able to make nests in its branches. And that's, that's where, again, that's where your, uh, your ministry begins to not just be a blessing to you, what God's doing in your life, but it, it expands and becomes a blessing to others as well. So he said, here's how the kingdom of God is going to operate. And it's going to be like a mustard seed. It's going to be like leaven. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is going to manifest itself in a particular way. It's not helter-skelter. It's not inconsistent. It's not this way today and another way tomorrow. This is how it's going to be. This is how it's always been. It'll always be this way. So Jesus is saying, I want you to understand how the kingdom of God can happen and come upon the earth. Now, when Jesus used the analogy of the mustard seed, they all understood that. They all knew what a mustard seed was. They knew it was the smallest of seeds. 
And what I've said in the past was oftentimes Jesus would, would, would use parables as a way to kind of shock the listener. We talked about some of those. You know, when he, when he made the, the, uh, the hero in the story of the Good Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he's telling the story to Jewish peoples. It, it, was, it was a way to shock them because to them, good Samaritan was an oxymoron. There was no such thing as a good Samaritan. The only good Samaritan to a Jew was a dead Samaritan. I mean, I mean, so when Jesus made him the hero in the story, he did that intentionally to basically kind of shock them into really like, what did he just say? You know, prodigal son. We talked about that. You know, here, here's this kid who's, you know, living in his father's home and, and takes his share of the estate, goes and squanders it in wild living. And I mean, his life just kind of spirals so out of control that he kind of hits rock bottom in that he's feeding pigs. So as Jesus is telling this story, as Jewish people are listening to this story, and Jesus kind of gets to that part where he's kind of been forced to feed pigs, all of a sudden they're just like, I mean, they're like, man, life just can't get any worse than that. I mean, to them that was like, man, if you were a Jew and you were feeding pigs, I mean, that's rock bottom. And so oftentimes Jesus would employ illustrations, words, characters that really were intended to kind of elicit this sense of shock. Today's parable is really no different. So Jesus, you know, uses the first analogy, mustard seed. Got that. Yep, we're good with that. Then he kind of comes in and then he says, you know what? He said, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. I mean, every Jewish listener is like, what did he just say? Uh, they're looking to the people around them. Did he just say the kingdom of heaven was going to be like leaven? What is he talking about? Because see, to them, leaven was always used and it was always a reference to evil influences. So as Jesus uses that analogy, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, it was just a jolt to their system. It, it drew them in. If they were kind of, you know, starting to fall asleep during the analogy of the mustard seed, when Jesus uses this, you know, analogy of leaven, it kind of just, you know, pulled them back into the conversation. See, Paul, again, just to kind of give you a flavor of how Scripture treats this, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 6, Paul says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, again, this evil influence, do you not know that a little evil influence leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? He says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. So he says, therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Again, there's that association, that connection between leaven and evil influences, malice, wickedness. He says, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus does this too. He makes a connection between the hypocritical you know, the, the Pharisees said one thing, but they lived another. 
And, and so he kind of, you know, gives this warning to his disciples in Matthew 16, 6. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven, the evil influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how hypocritical they are. They'll tell you one thing, but they live a completely different way. So Jesus said, beware of that. So again, there's this connection, this analogy between leaven and evil influence. As a matter of fact, every Jew who's listening to Jesus uh, make this comparison between leaven and the kingdom of God. They, they grew up remembering, preparing for the uh, you know, the annual feasts of Passover. I mean, as they would celebrate Passover, part of leading up to that celebration, they would, they would uh, take a time and they would just begin in every nook and cranny of the house, top to bottom, meticulously going through that house, and they would want to get rid of every speck of leaven in that house. They would just clean it out. Because again, leaven represented evil, and they're about to celebrate the Passover. And so they want to rid their home of, of every evil. And they would do that by just going through and removing all of the leaven out of their house. So again, they're hearing Jesus make this analogy in connection to leaven, and it's kind of just a shocking thing because they had never ever heard leaven being used in, in, in a positive way like this. So last week we talked about, again, the spiritual principle of the mustard seed is the kingdom of God always, 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 always begins in small ways. And it just begins over time as we're obedient, as we just continue in steadfastness, as we just continue just to abide and to walk that out. What happens is that just begins to grow and it just kind of begins to increase over time. And again, eventually it kind of becomes big and it's a blessing to us and a blessing um, to others. The spiritual principle of the leaven is the leaven in this parable represents the transforming power of Christ in the life of the believer. And so Jesus is making this analogy. Now just as leaven, if any of you have ever baked bread, homemade bread, you know, you, you know the transforming power of leaven in the dough. I, I've made bread where the leaven in the, the, the yeast, the leaven in the bread is very, very effective. I, I mean, you put it in there and it's just not long before it just infiltrates and invades that whole lump and everything is affected by that little transforming yeast that you put in there. And Jesus says, the Spirit of God that transforming power of the Holy Spirit is like that leaven. When, when, you just, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, it, it, it just begins to invade. It begins to effect. It begins to transform you from the inside out. He said the addition of leaven into a dough. You know, Jesus is saying, you know how that kind of causes that transformation of that lump of dough uh, into kind of just this bubbling, growing um, mass? Jesus uses that analogy of leaven, that, that transforming power of the Holy Spirit as a similar transformational effect that that takes place in the life uh, of the believer, in the inward soul of mankind. When Christ comes in, to live within them, it just begins to have this transformation. It begins to invade and affect every part of the believer's life. And Jesus said, this is one of the ways the kingdom of heaven is going to operate and manifest itself upon the earth. And we, we understand this. 
what is, what is God's principle when we confess our sins? What, what is God's established response to that? What is his consistent, steadfast response when we confess our sins? He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that what the word says? See, that, that never changes. That is one of the ways the kingdom of God works. When you confess, he forgives. What, what, is, what, is, the, um, what is the consistent steadfastness of God when we draw near to him? He draws near to us. That, that principle never changes. God doesn't get up today and say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to kind of just not follow that one today. No, it's how God has established, it's how he works. He wants us to understand there are ways the kingdom of heaven operates and manifests upon the earth. And, and, and we got to understand that. So he said it's like a mustard seed, it's like leaven. Now, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9, he says, or do you not know? Now, obviously, he thinks that, that they should know this by now. But he's pointing out that, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's saying that's one of the kingdom principles. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, is immaterial. Paul says, you should know this. But he, but he says, in case you don't, let me remind you, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a kingdom principle. So he goes on and he says, do not be deceived. Now, you know the nature of deception is, if you're being deceived, you don't know you're being deceived. See, if you know you're being deceived, then it's not deception. I mean, you can be suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, Romans says, but that's not deception. That's just either willful ignorance, it's rebellion against the truth of God's word. If you're deceived, deception in its true form is you don't even realize you're being deceived. That's deception. So Paul says some of you have been deceived. You don't even know because that's the very nature of deception. If you're deceived, you don't know you are. So he said, do not be deceived. He said, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetedness, nor drunkard, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, and this is, this is wonderful. He says, such were some of you. So as Paul's giving this principle, saying the kingdom of God is not going to manifest in lifestyles that are habitually living these kinds of lifestyles. Now again, you, you know, you, people need to understand what, what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about a one-time instance. You know, you go out and get drunk and boom, all of a sudden, you know, uh, God is, you know, kind of going to, you know, kick you out of the kingdom of God. What he's talking about is he's talking about a habitual, ongoing lifestyle to the point that you're no longer convicted over it. You don't even care about it. You're just, you're doing it. And, and he's saying people that, that just kind of habitually continue in this kind of a lifestyle, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, some, um, such were some of you. So people are hearing this and they're kind of thinking, yeah, that was me. I, I was a drunkard. I was a swindler. I was, you know, I was, uh, um, you know, whatever else he lists in there. I was a fornicator. 
You know, I was a thief. I was caught. Yeah, yeah, that was me. And Paul's, Paul's recognizing it. Some of you, you were there. You were trapped in that. That was a lifestyle you were living. He said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Again, that is a beautiful example of, again, that that leavening, transformational power of Christ. That's what Paul says. Some of you were there. Some of you were living that kind of a lifestyle, but the Spirit of God got in you, and like that leaven, it just began to transform you. It began to invade every aspect of your being, and and you were able to change through the power of Christ. And he says, this is how the kingdom of God is gonna operate among you. It's gonna be like that leaven. The Holy Spirit's gonna just get inside of you. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's just gonna kind of come and like leaven it's just going to begin to invade and transform you into the image of his son this is how the kingdom works paul's a great example of this is he not paul gives a partial list of sinners who would be disqualified from the kingdom of god operating in their lives again if if you just habitually continue in this lifestyle what you're doing is you are circumventing again the plans and purposes of god for your life And Paul's making that observation that there were some of them that were sitting right there as he's speaking. And he said, some of you were once that way, but again, because of the transforming power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, that leavening agent in your life, transforming you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And again, this is one of the ways the kingdom of God is gonna operate and manifest itself upon the earth. It's it's gonna transform the unrighteous into the righteous. It's gonna take the sinner and, and transform them into a saint. Again, this is an example of one of the ways the kingdom of God will manifest and establish itself upon the earth. The transforming power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, will be like leaven in a lump of dough, a little, even the size of a mustard seed, going back to that previous parable. It's going to grow. It's going to expand. It's going to continue to influence and, evade, and, and invade. And then Paul goes on in verse 14, and he says, now God has not only raised the Lord Jesus, but he will also raise us up through his power. Again, when the power of God through the Holy Spirit, is allowed to work in our lives, it will bring transformational change that would not be possible any other way. And again, God has intentionally, this is not accidental, God has intentionally ordered the kingdom of heaven to operate in this exact way. So you you, you can either get on board with it or you're just gonna be continually frustrated by this. Again, Paul was a great example of this. Prior to becoming Paul, remember what he, his name was? Saul. And Saul was one of the greatest persecutors of the early church and Christians of his time. Saul was also one of the most religious and devout men. So in essence, you had a man who thinks he is earnestly, steadfastly, r- religiously, faithfully being obedient to God, but he was also trying to destroy the early church and put to death and imprison Christians. Now, just to give you an idea of the depths, Saul, this religious, this, uh, you know, educated, devout man was willing to go in putting Christians to death and destroying the early church. Uh, Acts chapter 8 gives us some insight into that, beginning in verse 1. And there it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, um, Again, uh, he was the martyr 
the first uh, Christian martyr of the church. You can read about that in Acts 6 and 7. And it says that he was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. And on that day, the day of Stephen's martyrdom, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And they, those first Christians, were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. But Paul, now listen, Saul, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So this religious, this devout man is not really a very nice guy, especially towards the early Christians and the early church. As a matter of fact, beginning in Acts 9, verse 1, it says, Now Saul, still breathing th murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now again, it's really important to remember, at this point in Saul's life, he was one of the highest-ranking Pharisees. He here's a man who was just religiously educated, well-educated scholar who was just educated under some of the greatest scholars of his time. And so he is doing all that he is doing against the early church, the early Christians. He's doing all of this in the name of God. Verse 2 continues with Saul as he's going to the high priest and he's asked for letters from the high priest to the synagogues at Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, and that was an early reference to the church at that point, if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As Saul was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And this encounter this mustard seed encounter between Saul and Jesus was the beginning of this transformational work of the Holy Spirit that would eventually transform Saul into Paul and make him one of the most effective men for the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is the example of that spiritual principle of what Jesus is talking about there in the parable of the leaven in Matthew 13. Jesus is just saying, when the Spirit of Christ invades and begins working in your life, it is going to be like leaven in a lump of dough. Eventually, it will completely invade and it will transform your life. So this process... This illustration, he says, this is one of the ways the kingdom of heaven is going to begin to unfold, to operate, to manifest upon the earth and intersect in the lives and the affair of mankind. And that's why Paul would go on to write things like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That phrase, in Christ, that is that leavening agent that is the source in Christ. That is the source of transformation from old to new. When you are in Christ and he is in you, God has established from the foundations of the earth. When that happens, that is where the power of transformation comes to change you from the old creature trapped in sin to becoming the new creation, that new creature that is now born again, forgiven, and made right with our Heavenly Father. So again, you can go back. And you can look at 
That list of sins and sinners that Paul makes there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And I'll tell you what, folks, it can have one or two effects on you. You can either be offended by what you read there, or you can be convicted. You can look at that list, and maybe you find yourself in, in one or several of those categories. You have a choice this morning. You can be offended by that. And we've got a culture full of people right now that are offended by some of that. Or, you can look at that and not be deceived. And say to yourself, if that's me, if I continue... In that lifestyle, if I continue pursuing fornication, idolatry, covetedness, homosexuality, if I continue, if I make that my life, Paul says, don't be deceived. You are circumventing. You are cutting yourself off from the kingdom of God working in your life like the mustard seed, like the leaven. Again, we live in a culture. Right now, you say anything negative, about homosexuality or gay marriage, and people will call you all sorts of names. If you own a business, they're going to try to shut you down. They will sue you. They will do whatever they can to try to take your business out, bankrupt you. They want to do everything that they can do to inflict the most damage. Now, I see businesses left and right now, photographers, cake makers. I just read the other day there was a business, a farm, I think it was like maybe in California or something. I don't remember exactly what state it was in, but it was here in the United States. And they had a farm where they would allow people to kind of come in and rent the farm to do weddings. And they would do receptions. And they would do a lot of other things there. And there was a, a, a couple of ladies that came and wanted to rent the facility uh, to do gay marriage. Uh, people were devout Christians, and they just said, you know, uh, we, we really don't um, uh, support that, and so we're just, you know, out of our religious convictions, we're just going to uh, just respectfully decline, and they sued them, uh, took them to court, and they ended up being fined thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and so now they've had to kind of completely change their business to now where they're just simply saying, we will no longer do weddings at all. So not only heterosexual, nobody can now use this uh, for weddings. We're just going to get out of the wedding business altogether. And, you know, it's the same thing with, with cake bakers, with photographers, and they're all being sued. They're all being forced to do what goes against their religious convictions. And I've said to you time and time again, this is coming to the church, folks. It is just a matter of time. And they're going to come in to churches, small churches, I said, you know, basically now the mainline denominations, a lot of them are folding. They're just kind of falling in line with what they want done there. And they're going to start invading. They're going to start coming into the small, independent, evangelical churches. And they know we don't have deep pockets. They know we can't afford a, a, a you know, huge lawsuit. We can't fight this financially. And so we're going to probably do what everybody else does. We're just going to get out of the marriage business. We just won't do it at all. I'll guarantee you it's coming. It's just a matter of time. So you can be offended by that, by what I just said. I shared with First Congregation, I just saw where a federal judge in Utah just now made the way for multiple marriage. 
This is one of the concerns we raised when, when the whole gay marriage thing erupted. Once you, once you change that definition, once you begin to redefine that, where do you stop? I mean, you're just on a slippery slope. Oh, that's just a bunch of nonsense. That ain't going to happen. Oh, you're just trying, you know, to be provocative. Federal judge, Utah, just cleared the way where, you know what, if one woman wants to be married to two men or one man wants to be married to four women, who are we to stand in the way of their happiness. But yet we were told, oh, that'll never happen. That's not what we're after. We're after equality. No, don't be deceived. That's not what this was about at all. So you can be offended by that. Or we can be convicted. You can be offended by that or you can invite that transforming, leavening, powerful, transformational change agent, the Holy Spirit, you can invite him to come into your life and Christ can take that old creature and he can make you a new creature, free, forgiven, open to, welcoming, inviting the kingdom of God flowing in and through you. Same thing if you're here this morning, you're struggling with maybe addiction to pornography. I'm not here to just to, to cherry pick sins. All of them that Paul listed there. You have a choice. You can be offended by that or you can choose to allow Christ to change you. Maybe you're here with an addiction to pornography. Again, you can, you can either close your heart to that and remain in your sin and circumvent the power of the kingdom of God from working in you and through you or you can open your heart Realize I'm, I'm deceiving myself. I want the kingdom of God to move in and through me. But if I continue to live this kind of a lifestyle, it's not going to happen. I don't want to be deceived by that anymore. And so God, I want you to do whatever you need to do to transform my heart to change me more and more into the image of your son. That's your choice to close your heart or to open your heart and invite the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. You can't do it alone. You cannot do this apart from Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power to do it. It's not in you. If, it, if you had the power to do it, you would have done it. When you open your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you say yes to Jesus, no to the world, when you open your heart, your life to the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to come in and it's going to be like leaven in a loaf, a lump of dough. It's just going to begin to penetrate, invade, and it's just going to begin to transform your life more and more and more as you walk and you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. A month ago, I received a phone call from a gentleman who'd been attending our church didn't live here, but just, you know, whenever they were in the area, they would uh, attend our church. And uh, over the last couple of years, I think, um, have, has since moved away and, and called me and wanted me to know he had been battling the addiction of pornography for 40 years. And with the advent of the Internet, online porn sites, I mean, his, he, he just said, you know, my, my addiction only escalated 
And he said he just had hard drive after hard drive after hard drive that was just filled with pornography. And he called me one day on the phone and just said he was at the absolute bottom. He finally come to the point where he realized and this was a man, I, I mean, you know, I, I believe there was a yearning and a desire in his heart to be right with God. But he also knew this was just a huge obstacle in the way of that. And he finally came to that realization where, where it's either yes to Jesus and no to that, or it's no to Jesus. And he finally came to a point in his life where he finally had to make this desperate cry for help if he was ever going to break that addiction. As a matter of fact, he told me at one point, he said, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I have quit a million times. I have said to myself, I will never look at another porn site. He said, a million times. He said, the difficult part was, was not going back. He said, I'd always eventually break down, give in, and go back. I did not have the power to break the hold this had over my life. He considered himself a Christian, but for some reason thought of asking, never thought of asking God to help him break this addiction. So he just kind of, at some point, just reached desperation. He called out to God for help, and he said to me, he said, suddenly I felt this power, this presence come over my life like I had never felt before. He said, I had often heard other people talk about feeling the power of Christ at work in their heart and life. And he said, I had no concept of that. I didn't even know that that was possible. I just thought that that was just a bunch of religious jargon. And he said, I never understood what they said until that moment the power and presence of Christ came over my life. And he said, suddenly for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a power, a strength to break this addiction. And he said, my question to you is, is it too late? I said, too late for what? He said, forgiveness and to get right with God. Or have I done this for so long, there's no forgiveness and there's no way back to God? I said, brother, do you have a Bible with you? He said, yes. I said, I want you to get your Bible out. And I want you to turn it to Psalm 51. And I'm going to stand you next to a man who committed adultery and also had her husband killed on the battlefield. And I'm going to put you next to him. And I'm going to read to you his heart's cry to God. And there it began, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. This is how David begins his heart's cry to God over his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. Be gracious to me, O God, according to, because of your loving kindness according to your greatness, not mine, but your greatness of your compassion blot out my transgression, my transgressions. Notice what David appeals to here, not the greatness of his sin, rather he appeals to the greatness of God's loving kindness and compassion. Here's the thing to always remember. 
God's loving kindness and compassion will always be greater and more powerful than any sin we can ever commit. As a matter of fact, your greatest sin is no match for the loving kindness and compassion of your heavenly Father. No matter how deep or numerous those sins are, nothing is greater or more stronger than his loving kindness, his compassion, his graciousness over you. And again, the whole chapter of Psalm 21 is just worthy of study and meditation. But let me skip to verse 8. Again, this is part of David's appeal and prayer to God. And I said to this man on the phone, this is your appeal. This is your heart's cry to God. It transformed David. It will transform you. Make me, cause me, force me to hear joy and gladness. See, what some of you hear is condemnation, is guilt. That's religion. Ask God, make me, force me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. And I love this part. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast that what I start, I can finish. What you start, you can finish. Give me that steadfastness. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation as sustain me with a willing, obedient spirit. That is a great prayer and an awesome response if you truly want to unleash the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit over your life. As you cry out to God in your need, he will restore you just like he did David, just like he did to that man in his porn addiction. Just like Paul said, some of you, this was the way some of you were. But because of that leavening, transforming power of Christ at work in your life, you have been sanctified. You have been cleansed. You have been justified. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. That is the spiritual principle. That is the way the kingdom of God wants to operate upon the earth. It's how it wants to intersect and integrate itself into your life and into the affairs of mankind. And so this morning, maybe that that needs to be your prayer. Make me, force me to hear joy and gladness. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a steadfast spirit. Do not cast your Holy Spirit from me, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And that's what I said to that man. That is your prayer. Ask God to restore to you the joy of your salvation. I believe you were probably saved about 40 years ago. God just needs to renew that joy that you felt that moment. And and, and again, he said to me, and I I talked with him about a week ago, and he said, I have been porn free since July 5th. See, it starts in small ways. And as you're faithful, it just begins to grow. And he said, I'm learning so much about who I am in Christ. 
See, again, that addiction, it circumvented. It got in the way of the kingdom of God manifesting in his life. But when he said no to the world and yes to Jesus, it began in a small, transforming way. And that, that, that Holy Spirit came in like that leavening agent. And it just began to transform, to invade his life, and to completely make him that new creature that he, that he longed to be. That, that it was God's plan for him to be from the foundation of the earth. That's his plan for you and for me this morning. Is God wants the kingdom of heaven invading our lives like a mustard seed and like a leavening agent. And again, we have a choice. Yes to Jesus. Yes to that. No to the world. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we just thank you this morning again for this analogy we thank you again for this understanding, for this illustration, for this teaching, this principle on how the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, will and does operate upon the earth. It's like a mustard seed and it's like a leavening agent. So God, this morning we just want to say yes to that over our lives and no to the things that would be circumventing and preventing the kingdom of God from flowing freely and abundantly in our lives. And so this morning, God, as we stand with our hearts open and exposed before you this morning, God, as you see us and know us, God, as we truly are, that God, if there be any way in us, God, that offends you, God, that that causes your kingdom to not fully manifest in us. God, that right now, Lord, we would just say no to that and yes to your kingdom principles in the mustard seed and the leavening agent, God, coming and beginning to work in small yet powerful ways in our life through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, this morning we just invite you to come Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in us, today, right now, just as it is in the heavens. This is our prayer. And we thank you, God, that you are faithful, that your word does not go forth and return void without accomplishing the purposes for which it was sent forth. We thank you for that. That is a kingdom principle. And we apply that now, God. Let your word go forth in us. And Lord, let it accomplish in and through us all that it was designed and purposed to do. And we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our response this morning, again, we just invite you uh, to to come uh, receive communion. Uh, This morning, if you just want to just, again, just just opening your heart to God uh, through worship again and just asking him to come in his power and his presence this morning. Uh, We just invite you to respond in whatever way God is calling you to do. If you want to come up and take a communion, again, there's there's just that principle in there that Jesus said when, when his body was broken, he said, this is my body broken for you. He took that cup and he said, this cup, it represents the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you drink of this, he said, do it in remembrance of me. That is that spiritual principle. Every time we partake of the bread and the juice, we are celebrating the fact that the kingdom of God has come to us through his broken body, through his shed blood, that we can receive forgiveness, healing, and wholeness in that. That's his spiritual principle. And he invites us to come and to partake 
in that this morning. So however you feel God leading you this morning uh, to respond uh, to this message, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.